Well, good morning. It is so great to see everybody here this morning. We're kind of changing things up uh, this morning as far as where the sermon falls in line. And that's just kind of because uh, as we go through this, hopefully the natural response to what God's word tells us today is that we just want to sing, like that song said, how holy and how amazing God is. Uh, So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Andy Peterman. I'm the pastor here at Center Christian Church. Um, Also, we ran out out of communion earlier which I think is a really cool thing that we have more of you here than we were planning for. And we have more. So if you did not get communion and you would like to partake in that, it is located at both ends of the auditorium. I would give directions, but I don't know my directions in this building. So they're over there. And uh, feel free to get up and uh, go grab those. Um, It's been an amazing morning already, I'll tell you. We had a great service this morning. Dale Helwig brought a great message. Uh, We had a delicious breakfast. Um, I am supposed to tell you, if you had the cinnamon rolls, I'm to blame for how they turned out. I'm sorry. I was asked to, like, take them and put them in the fridge yesterday, and I forgot, so they got overdone. And so that's not my wife's fault. It was my fault. I take the blame. But it was because I didn't have caffeine because she fed me a decaf coffee that I didn't know was decaf. So it all falls back on her. But want to hear a joke? Decaf. (laughs) All right, that fell short. (laughs) Happy Resurrected Sunday. (laughs) So uh, it is such a good day. I mean, uh, Dale talked about it this morning. Like if, if it wasn't for this day, I mean, what other holiday would we have to celebrate? I mean, we, Christmas would just be another birthday. It wouldn't be that Jesus actually is God. It's not that it was born or the birth of our Savior. I mean, he brought it all the way to 4th of July because our nation is founded on principles of God. I mean, everything really that we do is based on this day. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty tells us that. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so we have a hope. We have a purpose in life today. And so I figure, hey, it is Resurrection Sunday. No better day to talk about the wrath of God. Like, and I'm not kidding, actually. Like, that's our topic for today. Because it is a very real thing, the wrath of God. And sadly, it is really coming. It is really going to hit so many people. And statistically... Some of us in this room are going to experience the wrath of God because we are not truly believers in Christ. We are not truly giving our life over to Jesus because you see the only thing that separates myself from anybody that will experience the wrath of God is Jesus. It is that I have placed my faith in him. And as we're going to see at the end of the service today, it is possible for every person to place their faith in Jesus. But you know, nobody really wants to talk about the wrath. I mean, I really wonder today on Resurrection Sunday, how many other pastors are going to be talking about God's wrath? It's not an enjoyable thing to talk about. It doesn't really make us feel that great. It's not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel message. It's not really anything other than telling us that our sin has consequences. That the way that we choose to live our life has consequences. You know, there's actually people, there's actually even churches that refuse to talk about God's wrath. I mean, it's all God is love, and we're told in God's word, God is love. That is 1 John. 
that God is love. But what we love to do is take our American worldly view of love and apply it to God, which says then God accepts me just how I am. Not only that, God doesn't want me to change because God loves me and he is perfectly fine with me living in my sin. And really what we're told in God's word is God hates sin. I mean, Proverbs tells us that God hates sin. It tells us that there are six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. I mean, to think that we can live in sin and then come here on a Sunday morning and say, I'm going to just live in my sin and thank you, Jesus, for dying. I'm going to keep living in it. And so God's going to love me and I'm going to keep doing what I want to keep on doing is a lie. And honestly, I'd be wrong if we did not point that out this morning. That God loves you not how you are, but God loves you despite how you are. But he calls you to something so much better. He calls you out of darkness and into light. He's calling you to die to yourself and to be raised to a new creation. And not a lot of people are going to be happy to hear that. Not a lot of people are going to want to hear that, wait a minute, there's consequences for my sins. And the reason that we celebrate Resurrection Sunday is because we also celebrate what Jesus did for our sins. Because if you want to know what the consequences of your sin are, look to the cross. And you will see how serious our sin is. Because you see, God created everything perfectly. I mean, he made heaven and earth, stars and planets, animals and fish, and then he ended it all with what he said, this is my masterpiece, mankind. He said he made man and then he made a helper woman. And he said, man, it is good. And everything was created and it was perfect and it was beautiful and man and woman were able to walk with God and talk with God and be in relationship with God. And then man decides to follow his own desires. Man feels like God, and when I say man, I'm talking mankind, man and woman both. That they desire to follow their own desires, believing that God actually didn't have what was best for them. Because God reveals himself to us. I mean, creation, when he made everything, he said, I am making it and I am implanting my image on you. So that, as Romans 1.20 tells us, nobody can have any excuse to not believe in God. It's your choice. You're choosing not to believe in God. Because Romans 1.20 tells us that creation reveals who God is. He's imprinted himself inside creation and it all points to him into his glory. And it's like, man, that's a beautiful thing. Like I love Romans 1.20, that God is saying, I don't want for anybody to miss out. So even if there's people that have never heard the gospel, creation points to the gospel. Creation is saying there is a God and he desires to be glorified. But then it kind of takes this dark turn in Romans chapter one. In verse 20, uh, 21, we're told this, where it says that they knew God, but they did not honor him as God. And they did not give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so it's like God created all of creation, and he said, all of this is going to point to me. But instead, what man starts doing is saying, man, look at that tree. It is God. Look at this creation that I made. That is God. There's not a God up in heaven, but instead, all creation, I'm going to worship it, and I'm going to bow down to it. And man starts going on this deep, dark path. And the reality is, it wasn't just at the creation of time that man fell. It wasn't just 2,000 years ago that God's wrath was deserving to pour forth on people. It's this day still. That man is still falling short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 tells us that. For all have sinned and fall short. For all have sinned. Every single person in this room has fallen short. The minute we fall short, we are deserving of the wrath of God. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. And death is not just, hey, my life is going to cease at the end of this final breath. But instead, death is an eternal, constant state of torment and agony. That is what our sin brings upon ourselves. Because notice that it said in verse 24, or 21 through 23 of Romans, it said that we knew God, but we chose something else. We saw that the creator was there, but we chose to worship the created. It didn't just happen then. Every time that we think God has done something and we say, hey, I'm going to bring the glory upon myself. I need the bigger name. I need the bigger status. I need the more stuff. We're saying, God, you're not truly God. I'm God and I deserve the glory. That's called pride. Anytime we have pride in our life, it's a sin. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all struggled with pride in our life at some time. Anytime we see God give us a job or give us something and we say, God, thank you for that. Now I'm going to forget my family, forget everything, and I'm going to pursue the almighty dollar. Or I'm going to pursue my possessions or I'm going to pursue whatever it is, we worship the created rather than the creator. And so notice what it says in verse 24 of Romans 1. Because of all of this, it says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the created. Because of that, God gave them over to their desires. So often we think, <laughs> God's giving me what I want. It must be his blessing. We need to check ourselves on that. Because according to that verse, God is saying, no, it's not a blessing that you're getting to pursue the desires of your flesh. It's actually a curse. Because anytime we desire something more than God, it falls back and results in death. It brings forth the wrath of God, which honestly, in some way, the wrath of God is giving you over to your desires. Well, I want this. Well, it's not good for you. Yeah, but I want it. But it's not going to work out for you. I don't care. Give it to me. God gives it to you. 
He gives you over to that. And his wrath pours forth on us. And again, it's not what we did, it's what we still do. That we are still seeking after stuff other than God. But note here, it's our own doing. Nobody can say, well, God is giving his wrath to me. God, I'm so undeserving of this. I did nothing. No, the thing is, we always choose that route instead of God. As a result of our choice, God gave us over to all of these vile things. So God's wrath is being poured forth. And the thing is, whenever it seems like God is not faithful, what we need to realize is man always moves first. It's never been God looking down at us and saying, "Mm, I'm just going to turn away from you. It is always man saying, God, give me more space. Give me more freedom. Give me more liberties. God, really, you know what? Just go ahead and die. I don't care who you are. I'm going to do what I want. And then God finally gives us over to it. Because God will never leave us first. But we always leave God first. And so God allows us to pursue our unholy, unrighteous desires. I mean, look at the parable of the prodigal son. Where the son looks to the dad and he says, Dad, I pretty much wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. You're still alive. I don't care. Give me what's deserving to me. And the father says, okay. And he gives it to him. And the son runs away and squanders it all. But as we're going to see later on, God is still loving. And God is still forgiving Because as we're going to see, that father runs to the child. Even though he squandered everything, the father says, you can still come back to me. You can still come to me. But I think first we have to understand what is the wrath of God. I mean, like that's this kind of like thing that we talk about, but nobody really understands. And again, a lot of people don't even really want to talk about it. In Revelation chapter 6, we're seeing everything in the end times unfolding. And then in Revelation 6, we we are given this glimpse of seven seals. And the first four have these four horsemen of the apocalypse attached to them. And they kind of come out. And so in Revelation 6, 2, we see the first horseman. And it's a rider on a white horse. And he's coming out. And really what that writer is, is a false Christ. It's a false religion. It's imitating who Jesus is. And so there's going to be false religions. There's going to be people pursuing, as Paul tells Timothy, they're going to have itching ears, hearing what they want to hear instead of hearing the truth about God's word. And so that's going to be that first horseman coming through and spreading this false religion about this false Christ. And honestly, it gets scarier as you go on from there. Because the second seal is the second horse. And it's a rider on a red horse. And this rider is war. And he's going to come through and he's going to destroy. And he's going to wipe out and kill because he is war. And I mean, Jesus talks about it in Matthew where you're going to hear rumors of war. And I mean, the thing is, this rider is probably among us in a sense. Because even though in America it seems okay, what kind of war is going on in the hearts of the American people? 
as we are raging against brother and sister, as we're not having a physical war, but there's definitely a spiritual war going on in our nation because so many people are following the white horse. They're falling for the false lies of the false Christ. And then in Revelation 6, 5, we have the third horse, which is the black horse, which represents famine. And it's talking about how you're going to pay a poor wage for stuff because there's not going to be enough of anything. So you're going to have a false religion, you're going to have war, you're going to have famine, and then the fourth horse comes and it's a pale horse. And that word for pale literally means the color of gross. I mean, it's like puke pea green, disgusting. That's the color of this horse. Nobody ever said that's your favorite color, right? Like, I just love that. I'm wearing that Easter Sunday. Yes. But it's that horse coming, and that horse is death. And it says behind it is Hades. And I mean, you just have to open up Revelation and start reading, and you start getting the sense of, oh my goodness, what is going on? Like, honestly, I'll I'll just be honest. I used to freak out over Revelation. I've shared that with our congregation before. It was like, nope, let's not even open up that book. It's a scary thing to me. And honestly, I have found a whole new joy in reading Revelation lately. And we'll get back to that in a second. But we have the fifth seal then. And it says that the saints are crying out, who is going to redeem us? Who is going to like pay for our blood? And we have a religious persecution going on. So, I mean, you've got a false religion, you've got war, famine, death, you've got uh, religious persecution, and then the part that is really crazy. We get to verse 12, and we start seeing who's going to save us. I mean, here comes this wrath of God being poured forth on the earth, and so, hey, let's look to our generals, they'll save us. Let's look to our political figures. They'll save us. What about our celebrities? What about the wealthy? What about the people of influence? Notice what it says in verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So who's going to save us? What about the kings? Well, the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they cried out to the mountains, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their salvation, for for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So, who's going to save us from that great day? Is it going to be the guy in the White House? No. Is it going to be our military? No. What about our celebrities? No. Our rich? No. Our poor? No. Our slave? Free? No. Nobody's going to save us because they are all hiding in the rocks saying if the rocks would fall on us, get us away from this wrath. Like everybody that you might be looking to to save you from whatever craziness is going on in the world right now is going to fail. And there's going to come a day where they're going to be begging for rocks to close them in a mountain so that they can hide from the wrath of God. And that's going to be who we are unless 
we receive what Jesus did. And that is the joy of this. Because at the end of this, you know, you, as you read that, you're kind of left with the question, who's in control? I mean, kick on the news today. Who's in control? Is it our celebrities? Is it our politicians? Is it our military? Is it the people? I mean, really, who is in control? We're left with that question a lot if you look at the news. But we're told in Revelation who's in control. We're told in Revelation 1-5 that Jesus is the king of the rulers of the earth. We're told in Revelation 19 verse 16 that when he comes back on his true white horse, he's going to have a name written on it. And he's, it's going to say king of kings and lord of lords. We're told in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 through 5, John says, Behold, I heard from the throne a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's coming from the throne. That throne is a position of control. So yes, there is a wrath coming. There is a horrible future for so many people because they are choosing to go down that path. They are choosing their desires over what God says is good and true. So who's going to save us? Revelation 7 verse 10 this is why I love reading Revelation right now. It says, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There he is. God is in control again. He is sitting on his throne. And he is the one where we're going to find salvation. Not in ourselves, not in politicians or political figures or anything like that. Salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. So yes, the wrath is a very scary thing. But we don't have to fear it. If we give our life over to Christ, if we submit ourselves to Christ, because Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 is all about the gospel. It is saying everything that God did, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and therefore we are all deserving of death. But at the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So therefore the free gift of God is eternal life. That is all found through Jesus. But then, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul does a shift. And he says, therefore, because of everything I just talked about, therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, don't think the way you used to think, but submit, surrender, give your life over to Christ. Because he is the one that is on the throne. He is the one that is deserving. He is the only one that can save us. Because again, the wrath is coming, but the love of God is that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the love of God. When people are like, it's not very loving of God to send people to hell, you're right, and God doesn't send people to hell. We choose it ourselves. The loving thing of God is to send his only begotten son to die the death that you deserve to die and I deserve to die, but he died in our place so that we can have eternal life. That is the love of God. 
that we have an eternal life with him. Salvation belongs to the lamb. Salvation belongs to Jesus because of what he did. I don't fear the wrath. Because as I realize who's truly in control and that my life is in his hands because I have surrendered it over to him, I don't fear revelation anymore. I enjoy reading it right now because I get to see, man, God is victorious. Jesus comes back on that white horse and he is coming to kick some tail and I am on his side. And I am thrilled about that. It's going to be amazing for those who are on his side. But for those who are not, in Revelation 9, it says that they are going to be seeking after death, but death is going to evade them. And as we're told about the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man, he goes into Hades and he is in torment. And really, he just desires to ultimately die, but he can't. He is stuck in torment forever. But there's a hope for those who give their life to Jesus. You see, we're set free because of the sacrifice that Jesus made in our place. So now God's wrath doesn't fall on us. I read it said this week and it was so amazing. It said the gospel, the good news of Jesus that he died in your place, the gospel changes heaven's courtroom from a criminal trial to an adoption party. You see, we're supposed to be there standing trial before Jesus and there is not a single thing that I can do to prove that I don't deserve death and the wrath of God. But the gospel, because of what Jesus did, it turns that criminal trial into Jesus saying, hey, come into my family. My blood washes over your sins. Just give your life over to me. Live for me and you're one of mine. You can now call me Abba, Father. Welcome to the family. That's what the gospel does. You see, Jesus died for our sins and the fact that he rose from the dead, the fact of today that we celebrate a resurrected Savior shows that that payment was fully accepted. So now we no longer live for the approval of man. We live for the glory of God. No longer am I trying to measure up and be like, God, I hope I did enough for you to love me today. He already showed that he loves me. He already showed that he loves you. He gave his son and then he said, that penalty has been fully paid. So now you get to live for me from that. If Jesus wouldn't have been raised from the dead, it would have proved that he only died for his sins. If Jesus was still in the grave, it would have just been Jesus died for his sins. But the fact that he rose from the dead proves he died for all sins. So now you can receive salvation if you place your faith in him. Romans 1, 4 tells us Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Therefore, we know the payment was received because he was declared holy by his resurrection from the, from the dead. Today, that's how we know that forgiveness has ultimately been offered because the tomb is empty. Because again, if the tomb is not empty, I'm still living in fear of God's wrath. 
I'm still freaking out and I'm still trying to figure out what do I have to do to be right with God? How can I measure up and earn God's favor? But because the grave is empty, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Therefore, I now know that there is hope, that my hope goes beyond, even beyond the letters of Revelation where it might freak people out. There is a hope beyond that. Because salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. In Revelation chapter 5, John is taken up into another level and he sees the scroll that has the seven seals on it. And he's wondering who is going to be able to open the scroll. It says this in verse 1, he says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll or to look into it? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And so one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then in verse 9, it said that the congregation around the throne sang a new song, and this is what they sang. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then in verse 12, it says again, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, there's going to come a day where we all stand before Jesus. And really, this is going to be the response of us. This is what we get to do is we are going to get to sing, You and only you, Jesus, are worthy. Not my political figures, not my celebrities, not my military, not my second amendment, not my first amendment, not anything of this earth, Jesus. The only thing that is worthy of all worship is you. And so that's why we started this message with the sermon. Because how do you respond to that? When you hear God, it is only you. You are the only one that is worthy. You are the only one that is able to open the scrolls. You are the only one that is able to save me from this wretched life that I live in. Jesus, it is only you. How do you respond to that? By singing. By singing to each other, worshiping God in song about who he is. I love that our auditorium is filled today. Because, man, I am looking forward to hearing God's people sing about how great he is. And so I'm going to ask Kurt to come up here, and he's going to lead us in these songs. And if you will just really just think on that, that we are deserving of God's wrath. 
But because of what Jesus did, and because he's raised from the dead, we have an eternal hope. And so we're just going to sing some songs right now talking about how great God is, how he is worthy and who he is. And so I'm going to ask if you'll stand and we're going to sing these songs. And before we do, I just want to pray that God prepares our hearts for this. And so if you'll rise, Father God, we get, we're getting ready just to sing songs to you. And God, I know the order is different and it can throw us off. But God, right now, let us fix our hearts on you the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross so that we can be set free. So God, I just thank you for that. And as we get ready to just sing how worthy you are, God, may it not be words from our mouth, but may it be words from our heart that we mean what we're about to say. So God, let us just sing praises to you.